Well, it, it gives me a great deal of pleasure to introduce you my, my one of my next best friends. No. <laughs> uh, uh, a gentleman that obviously knows what he's talking about. A man who's pastored and been around for a lot of years. Let's give it up for Jim Tomberlin. Hallelujah. As he comes. It's a good introduction to talking about today about what are the best practices this hour. What, what are the best practices that successful multi-site churches are following uh, that, are, that they are doing in helping them to succeed in being a multi-campus church? And so that's what we want to talk about today, uh, in this hour. And um, as I mentioned, over 3,000 churches across the country are doing this, of all si different sizes and shapes, all different kind of theological backgrounds, uh, all over the body of Christ, uh, all over the, every you know, part of the country. And so um, there's some things we're learning as we uh, are in this game now for the last 10 years or more. But so um, let's, let's just jump into this. You've, uh, we reviewed some of your questions. I think many of those questions hopefully will get answered through this session and whatever we didn't address, hopefully we'll get them in the panel session. Now what's the first thing that, that our successful multi-site churches do and really any successful church does is that they first of all, they cast a compelling vision. They cast compelling vision, and there's several components to a comp compelling vision. It's clear, it's unified, it's outreach focused, it's community focused, it has multiple locations in its, in its uh, uh, view. Let me just pause here for a second. I believe that every local church uh, has a unique purpose and reason for existing in the, in the community it's in. And one of the first things you need to do, whether you go multi-site or not, if you haven't figured out what that unique reason why you exist as a church, that's your first assignment going out of here. And you know what we've done over the years is that we have latched on to a few well-known churches and taken their language to make it our vision. And that was great. And if that's language that works for a church in Chicago or Atlanta or... California, but you don't live in those places. What is, what is God uniquely calling you to be as a church? One of the best books to read right now on this topic is a book by my good friend, Will Mancini. It was voted the best book of the year last year, Christian book. It's called Church Unique. And it's all about helping local churches think through what is our unique mission in this community. That's your first assignment. It's not to copy somebody else's mission statement and make it yours. It's to hear from God Amen. as you pray over your community, over the, your church. What is God calling us, first of all, to be in this community? And once you figure that out, then it's easier to figure out what we're to do in this community. And so a vision comes out of that. Who are we? The, the, more, uh, the more clear, the more clarity you have about this is who we are, this is what we value. This is how we do church. The more effective and smoother and easier it will be to extend that and reproduce it in other locations. But unfortunately, a lot of times, a lot of churches, a lot of good churches, a lot of churches that have good things happening there, they're flowing out of their gifts, and that's a good thing in terms of the leadership and the preaching and all the different parts. But they're not being intentional. They're not doing it out of a mission and a sense of purpose that God has given that local church. They're just flowing out of their gifts. That's a good starting point, but you, you, how do you take that and say, all right, God has gifted us and put these gifts in us and in our congregation for a purpose. Rick Warren likes to call it the purpose-driven church. What's your purpose for existence? And put it in your own language. 
make it who you are, localized. And so those churches that are succeeding in multi-site strategy are very clear. They know who they are. They know how they, they, they have, they're intentional on how they do church. They're clear on what, they're, what they value. And so what is your mission, your vision, your values? And uh, those churches are going to do far better in reproducing themselves than um, those who don't. Now, what, here's what often happens. I come to a church and they think, eh, you know, we're growing, we're kind of out of control and things are great or, or we're not maybe out of control, but we're on a good track and a lot of good things are happening. And so we want to go multi-site. And one of the first things we start doing when you start thinking about going to other locations, what do we do well? What's our DNA? What's our mission, our purpose for existence? And what, you know, what, what, who are we? Because you want to start surfacing, you want to reproduce these things at other locations. And if, you're, if it's all over the map, if it's vague and it's not clear, it's, 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 it's messy. And so one of the first things to do is get a lot of clarity on who you are, what is God calling us to be, and then how are we fulfilling that in this location, and then how do we transfer that to other locations. And when, when you start going down this path, you start surfacing all the good, the bad, and the ugly in a church. You start looking under the hood on every ministry. And to say, all right, we got a, we got a great children's ministry or a student ministry here, small group ministry here, uh, worship ministry here. Right, how do we reproduce that somewhere else, transfer it somewhere else? And then you begin to realize, you know what? There's a lot of inefficiencies in these ministries and redundancies and sacred cows that need to be holy hamburger now, you know. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and we're doing some things here that, you know, I wouldn't want to reproduce that somewhere. Sometimes people say, I say, what's your DNA? And, uh, and, you know, we want to transfer your DNA to other location. And they'll say, well, what if we don't like our DNA? <laughs> well, this is the time to get it fi to fix it now, to change it now. Don't export that that you don't want and like. So they, they cast compelling vision. And uh, it's clear. It's, it's, it's unified. The leadership is unified around this. Um, it's outreach focused. It's outreach oriented. It's all about that. We've done surveys. We've done two surveys of multi-site churches. That I work with Leadership Network, and we've done survey of 1,000 churches and 1,500 churches that were multi-site in 2005, 2007. What was your reason for going multi-site? Now, initially, as I mentioned earlier, it was the early stages. Well, we were out of room, we're out of space. The local government wouldn't let us you know, build or whatever. That wasn't the reason. The overwhelming reasons that, the, 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 the main reason that churches went multi-site was to, we wanted to reach more people. We wanted to reach more people. And we became convinced this is the most effective way and cost-effective way to do that. Um, now, the um, community-focused. When you start thinking multi-site, and I had this experience when I started down this path in the 90s in Colorado Springs, when I was a pastor of one location, my world kind of revolved around that location and those four walls. My church was the center of the universe and I was the center of that universe. That's where most of us pastors are. And uh, we think everybody else thinks that way too. And, um, but when I started thinking about other locations, you know, I started seeing my community through different new eyes. I began to realize um, my, my campus here on this corner isn't the center of the universe. We're just, we're just kind of a beachhead in this larger community. And I began to see my community through uh, eyes of other people who didn't necessarily attend my church, who didn't attend my church and may never attend my church in that location. And I started seeing it through their eyes of where they lived. And I began to see, you know, every facility, every school, theater, commercial building, 
and the community all of a sudden becomes a potential place for us to do church. And then they have, and that community is going to be a little different than where, I, where my one church community is now. So you just start seeing the world through different lens. And I think, I like the way John Wesley said it years ago, the world is my parish. <clears throat> when the Bible talks about the church, when it's not talking about it theologically in the New Testament, it's always talking about it geographically. The church of Jerusalem, the church of Corinth, the, church of, the seven churches of uh, Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches were all cities or islands. I believe when God looks on the, on the earth, he sees city churches, one church. I talked about 375, 400 churches in Lake County. When God looks on Lake County in Chicagoland, we, we say this a lot to our church leaders among, our, among ourselves there. When he looks upon Lake County, he doesn't see 400 churches. He sees one church that meets in 400 locations. Some of them are healthy and strong and vibrant and on track. Others are struggling and weak. And all, but one church. And in the New Testament, it's, the church is it's always a city church. And I think God thinks, we, talks about cities. You know, the Bible began in a garden and it ends in a city. And uh, um, think about your city, your region, your county. You have a reach. And every church that goes multi-site figures out what's our reach. For most of them, it's their city, their county, uh, their you know, community. There's a few, like a North Point, Andy Stanley, or Seacoast. Seacoast, I said, you know, this, the, if you've got the name Seacoast, you can only be on the Seacoast, right? And, uh, but they're South Carolina, you know, that's their, that's their kind of parish. And uh, Life Church, they, they have a vision for the whole, the whole nation. You know, they have that video I showed you last hour, that was three or four years old. They've got about 18 campuses all over the country now. And they have one in Phoenix in my backyard and has 500 people attending there. And so um, uh, it's compelling. It's compelling. They, when they wanted to launch that campus, they had three campuses in, in Oklahoma City area when they decided to launch a campus in Phoenix. So they had, th and they had, they had probably six, 7,000 people in those three campuses. They had a special offering that day to say, we want to launch another campus, a lifechurch.tv in Phoenix. And we want to have a special offering for them to launch out. They had a couple of campus pastors that were going to go, and they asked, and said, we like to, we're, we're praying that God will send 100 of you to Phoenix to help start it. And a million dollars. And they raised a million dollars in that one offering. And about 80 people said, we're in. And they launched this campus, uh, you know, in Phoenix that way. Um, that's compelling. That changes people's lives. And I love what you said earlier, Dean. You raised the bar of commitment. People respond to that. People are looking to do something significant that makes a difference. That's going to cost something. If you lower it, make it so low, then it's not, wor I'm not, not worth giving my time to that. Raise the bar. Uh, multiple locations. You know, now we, we, we don't have to be limited to a place. And it doesn't matter how big your box is, it's always going to be limited. And I love how Craig Groeschel says that this is not about the, uh, about the size of my church. You think I'm a mega church? I'm not a mega church. I'm a micro church compared to the, me to the mega harvest that's out there. So, uh, compel a cast compelling vision. What's your vision? If this is just to add a few more seats to your building or to your reach or whatever, that's not compelling. It's all about the people, the community that God has called you to and to get a, a passion. It's, it's Jesus over the city of Jerusalem weeping over the city. Say, God, you know, 
give me this city. It's John Knox saying, give me Scotland or I'll die. That's what you got to have. The pastors who are doing this well, they are passionate about this. It's not just church talk. They live and die to see lost people found, lives transformed, followers of Jesus uh, uh, created and, and called to follow Jesus and discipled. Cast a compelling vision. They cast a compelling vision. Secondly, second best practice. Let's see, here we go. Okay, listen, listen here's the chapel. This is the guys in uh, Lake County I talked about. That, uh, this, listen how they cast the vision to their church back in 2005. And they went from, here's their story. They were in a church of 15, they were in a school for 10 years and they grew to 1,500 people in Grays Lake High School. Someone gave them 70 acres of land and they built this fast, tilt-up, thousand-seat, multi-purpose building and they moved in it uh, from the school one weekend, 1,500. The second, the first weekend in their new building, 3,000 people in one week. 1,500 to 3,000. That's when they called me and said, Jim, we weren't into multi-site, now we are. <laughs> we get it now. We have room to grow on this location and that's our plan. We don't have time to raise the money, get through all the planning and all the process to handle all these people now. We need a solution now to or we're gonna lose these people. And so we went to work and just through a series of incredible circumstances that when you start moving, God opens up doors you don't know that are out there. And a, a year later, they launched four, uh, three new campuses and a fourth one was in the jail. So four campuses, you like to say they had a captive audience, but um, uh, plus the original one. So they went from one campus to five campuses in one year. They went from 3,000 to about 5,000 people in one, you know, to 18 months. Effective multi-site churches maximize their current campus. One of the first things you do before you start going to other campuses are you fully utilizing, maximizing your current location in three, one of three ways, or all three of these ways. One is, are you having multiple services? You gotta have, to take advantage of the easiest way to reach more people is to add a second service. If you have 11 o'clock service now, add a nine o'clock service. Uh, if you can add some more, that's okay, but uh, at least have two services on Sunday morning. And so that's, um, so you're maximizing this room, this facility. JB, you have two services here, right? You have three services here. That's, that's very typical for growing churches. And, uh, but as I mentioned last hour, you're never gonna, those others aren't gonna nearly be as full as that optimal inviting hour, but that's the first step, is to learn how to do multiple services. Some churches will add a Saturday night, and you know, many churches, uh, I, d I did Saturday night for years in Colorado, and it worked for us, but other churches, it doesn't work. But, um, the, um, but at least on Sunday morning, take advantage, you've got these buildings, fill them up. Um, another is the, uh, on the side over there, do you say IMAG? Um, IMAG, who knows what IMAG is? Okay, IMAG, it stands for image magnification. Side screens, like we have here in this auditorium, where, and it's not just side screens for the PowerPoints like we're doing now, but that the, the, the pastor, the preacher is on the side screen. Do you have that here, JB? Yeah. Okay, so when you're preaching here, you don't have all these things up here though, right? No, right. So you can see it better actually, yeah. And um, I love this look and feel. This is an industrial look, you know. This is the, in, the uh, uh, serious uh, leadership look. But... Um, this is a good example right here of a church in Phoenix that has uh, IMAG on the side screens. Now, even if you're not multi-site, I recommend you doing that. Yeah. But, and the reason why is because if you're sitting in this church service, uh, where are your eyes going? To the guy on the screen? I mean, the guy in the center? 
or the screen. How many of you go to a church that has iMag? All right, when you're in church, unless you're sitting right here in the front row, where do you look most of the time during the service? The screens, right? Why? It's bigger. And why is that, why do you look, why is that better? It's more, it's more closer, more intimate. You can, you can read the body language, the facial language better, right? Yes. Yeah. Not only that, you can hear better because it's amazing. We are, unconsciously, we read people's lips while they're speaking. If you don't believe that when you go to a movie and, the, and it's out of sync with the, the lips, <laughs> it messes your head all up, doesn't it? You can't, you can't hear it. And, uh, and so when you have a big screen and in the room, even if the preacher's here, Unless you're sitting right in this area, you're going to be watching the screens, and I recommend bring, you know, keep them kind of close so it's not like you have to turn your head too much. You just, you know, it's a, uh, because it's a better experience. It's, it'll enhance the teaching and learning experience because they can see your face better. They can see your ex facial expressions. They can hear you better. And so, um, but there's another reason to do that. And, he, and sometimes in a room this size, people would say, well, maybe we don't really need that in this room. Well, maybe not for that. But it helps to acclimate your congregation to getting used to seeing their pastor, their preacher, their teacher on the screen. So when you start talking about going to another location using video, it's like, well, we watch the screen anyway. And, um, and so I recommend to a church, if you, if you don't have that now, you should do that. Even if you don't go multiple campus, do that. It will enhance the experience that people have. Now, thirdly, is uh, video venues, what we call video venue. A video venue is another facility, another room on your current campus where you could have a service in there, a full functioning service, worship service, and teaching experience that's the message is delivered by way of video. Do you have that here, JB? You know. And so it helps to do that because if you have another room, sometimes it's, uh, if you have a student center, do you have a student center? Sometimes student, increasingly churches are moving their students off a of Sunday morning, at least the high school to another night of the week, and all of a sudden that creates a room that you could have another room that's got two or three hundred seat capacity, and you put a live band in there, you put, a, put a, 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 a leader in there, and you can have a simultaneous service, you know, just across, down the hall, around the other side of the campus here, right? That's a great tool to get to, it gives you more seats, first of all, at the optimal inviting hour, and um, it also becomes an incubator to raise up future campus pastors, for future worship leaders. Uh, and when you get ready to launch a group out to go to another location, they can incubate in there for a, you know, a few weeks or a couple months, getting ready to leave, where they're learning how to be a, a, a community, a congregation, still under the uh, uh, support of this location as they get ready to launch out. Are you tracking with me? Yes. Uh -huh. And so maximize your facility. And one of the things, JB, we'll come back here and talk, let's talk about, is there a place here that you could do that? Um, or whatever. So not every church can do that, but if you have that capacity, that's a great way to begin going down this path and you learn how to do the video capture. You show it on the side screens, but also show it in another room. On, and you learn how to do all that before you, you know, go across town to do something and where it's a lot more opportunity to make mistakes. And so learn, you know, it's better to learn now here where it's safe, right? So maximize your current campus, and those are some of the things that you should do before you start thinking about other locations if you don't have this already. Another, another best practice would be uh, they count the cost. I'm amazed at how many pastors don't think, <laughs> they, they don't think about uh, the cost of things. 
hey, this is a great idea, let's do it. You know, let's just do it. Uh, Jesus had something to say about that. And um, what, what I love about this model, it's so, it's so uh, doable. All the churches that I, worked with, that I work with, and certainly the ones that I led, when we launched these campuses, as soon as we opened their doors uh, publicly, they became immediately financially sustainable, supportable. It was only the launch cost of launching them to get them going, and as soon as they became public, became open, the people who attended there funded the ongoing operational cost of that campus. That's powerful. The typical church plant takes two or three years before it gets financially stable, often being supported by a church or denomination or whatever. Day one, they're, they're, they're standing on their own two feet financially. That, we didn't know that was going to happen. And uh, consistently, when you launch them right, and we'll talk about that, they hit the ground running, they become self-sustaining financially. Now, let's count the cost. There's three, three components. Uh, this is a simple P&L statement. Uh, profit, loss. Uh, what's it going to cost to launch one of these campuses? We know from our surveys what the average cost is. To launch uh, in a, what we call a low-risk, low-cost uh, launch, that would be in a school or a theater, and the reason why, why is a school or a theater low cost? They're, they're, you're only paying your rent, you don't have to renovate. They're ready to go. A school and a theater has the seats. It has this platform, a stage, you know, especially our, let's think about schools. 50% of all multi-site churches launch in school is their first step. Because schools are not cheap, but they're, they're the least expensive uh, rental space out there. The schools need our, the money especially these days. Uh, they often have nice auditoriums, theater kind of style auditoriums. You know, they'll have anywhere from 200 to 500 to 800 seats, depending on this community, where you can do church. It's already there. They have, if they're high schools, they have parking, have parking lot. They have classrooms for your children. It's already to go church, right? <laughs> it is only going to cost you the rent every month. I'm in a church, uh, talking with a church in um, Pittsburgh. They're going to pay... $800, no, let's see, let's see, $2,000 a week, $8,000 a month for a school. So what's that? $90,000 a year to rent. And um, the, uh, um, all you need is to pay the rent and pay the staff that launch with the, with the campus. My recommendation is you launch with three full-time equivalent staff, a full-time campus pastor, and then someone part-time, full-time in the children's area and in the worship area. Three full-time equivalents, ideally. With about, ideally, uh, ideally, 200 adults who would go and be part of this launch team for, two, for one year, um, at least 100 adults, ideally 200 adults. Why? Because most churches never break past 200. So if you could launch with 200 adults plus their children, you're already in the top 20% of all the church sizes in the country. Um, for some of you, the 200 is, that's, that's not a whole lot bigger than your church right now, right? But uh, it, takes, it doesn't take, it takes about 100 people to do church, to, to do a weekend service. All the components, right? And uh, children's area, the welcome area, the, the worship teams, and um, set up and all that sort of thing. But it costs, okay, the t here's the average cost in a, in a school or a theater. Well, you don't have to do any renovation upgrades of a facility. You just rent the building, it's ready to go. It's, you need technology, 
and children's, portable children's stuff, you know, do portable church, $250,000 is the national average. The churches I tend to work with are in the 250 to 500, half a million dollar range. The bigger the church, the more this goes up because their uh, expectations are higher. But at the most, half a million dollars, somewhere between a quarter of a million and half a million dollars to launch a campus in a school or theater that has four or 500 seats and uh, with 200 people in a year, all the churches I've worked with within, this isn't true for every church, but the, the most for my churches that I've worked with, they'll have a 50% to 100% growth in a year. You launch with 100, you have 200 a year later. You launch with 200, you'll have 400 plus the next, a year later. Or better, it could be you know, twice as much. Um, that's good growth. That's a great return on your investment. Now, if you were to add those same 400 seats at a location like this, what, you just told me what it was going to. What they tell you it was going to cost you to add. Three hundred seats is going to cost twenty-five hundred dollars a seat. Three hundred seats to add to this facility here would be twenty-five hundred dollars a seat, because when you add seats here, you got to also also add uh, parking space, children's space. There's all these dominoes, right? And the bigger you are in a, in a space, the more those expenses go up because. It's getting more, the premium is getting higher on getting just the land for all that is because you're, you're proving yourself to be a very uh, lucrative uh, landowner in this corner. Average going to cost per seat to go to school or theaters, $25 a seat. $25, $2,500. Maybe crazy, but ain't stupid, right? <laughs> and you can be up in a year. Some, one of the questions was, how long does this take? Usually it's about 12 to 15 months when, I, when a church calls me, we could have our first campus up and running. Within a year, you know, within two years, you could have 400, 500 people attending at another location for $250,000 versus adding 500 seats here for 25, well, let's see, that'd be, how much millions would that be? Yeah, be a lot more than that. 300 seats times $2,500, or that's 750, right? Nearly a million dollars. This is why church leaders across the country are embracing this model. If you're motivated to reach more people and serve more people in your community, this is more effective than getting every, think everybody in your broader community is going to come to one location. If you want to take the good news of your church and the good news of the gospel to other places, uh, and not expect everybody to come here because it doesn't matter how big you build the box, they're not all going to come here because here's another compelling fact. The vast majority of people, well, let me ask you this. How many of you live within 15-minute drive of your church? Just raise your hands. Here's them up high. Let's just see that. How many is that around the room? What would you guess? 50% at least? Yeah. The majority of Americans who go to church live within a 15-minute drive of your church, of their church. This to me is one of the most compelling reasons to, to go multi-site. There comes a point when you can invest, uh, you reach a point of diminishing returns on your investment in one location. Once you've been somewhere for a few years, 10 years for sure or more, you're just not gonna see a lot, you're gonna have incremental growth at best. But if you were to take the money and go 15 minutes, 20 minutes down the road and launch another campus, you could have exponential growth in a real quick period of time. Um, classic example of this, at Willow Creek in Chicago, we launched three campuses in the three years we were building our, adding uh, 3,000 seats to, my, to our one location we've been for 25 years. 
We went from 4,500 to 7,200 seats in South Barrington, our original campus. And um, meanwhile, we launched these other three campuses. Each one of those campuses we launched with 300 adults, and it, within a year, we had grown to 1,000 people in those locations. That's 300% growth, right, Dean? 300 to 1,000 in one year? 300% growth at each one of those locations. And now they're, all of those are in the 1,500 to 2,500 range now. At our original campus, where we've been for 25 years and we just added 3,000 more seats, our first year was a 15% bump and then flat after that at the original campus. Why? Because growth and innovation always occurs at the fringes. And we've been in this place for 25 years plowing good ministry principles and, and teaching and, and serving that community for 25 years. We just weren't going to get a lot of more return on major investment there. But when we took our investment of our time and money to other places around Chicagoland beyond the 15 minutes, around the 15 to 30 minutes, tremendous return. And we did it really quick. We launched three of those in, 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 in the time it took to build, uh, you know, uh, in, in two years. It took about four years to build the new building. And so, um, so we did it, you know, faster as well, as well as cheaper. Now, startup costs to 250 to 500,000 in a low cost, low risk. Your operational cost, it's whatever you launch with, a three staff people, and rent, that's about it. That's pretty low cost. And, uh, and then the income is based on every church, uh, you can quickly figure out what is the average giving per adult in your church. And uh, for example, you, here's, here's how you figure this out. What, what was your weekend attendance? Don't, don't answer this, just mentally think. Write it down on a piece of paper. What was your at, adult attendance last week in your church? Just write that down on your piece of paper, those of you who know that. Um, tell us what yours was. We won't go any further than that, but what was yours? Uh, adult attendance here at JB last Sunday. Do you know? 500, 600? No, about, yeah, 750. Uh, adults, just adults. All right, so 850. Eight, 850 adults, and then what are the, the offering, whatever the offering was, divide that offering by your number, 850 into your offering. And that'll tell you how much your adults are averaging giving per Sunday, okay? Multiply that times 52 weeks. That will tell you how much your adults are giving annually as an average. Are you tracking with me? Yes. That tells you, uh, and then, you know, if they're, if they're married, then double that number, household. Nationwide, the average giving on the low end of adults is $1,000 a year. High end is $1,500 a year per adult. $3,000 for a household. Or, are you tracking? You're probably very, you're in that range somewhere. Which $1,000 to $1,500 is how much your church, the adults in your church are giving. Now, if you have 100 people you launch a campus with, and say, let's say they're given $1,000 a year average. That'd be on the low end. How much money income do you have that you know you're going to have in the next 12 months at the end of the year? 100 times $1,000? I mean, $100,000, right? That's, that's your income that you can pretty much bank on. That's what's going to be given at that location by your core that you sent out. Is that enough to rent a school and pay for one or two or three staff members? Depending, you know. This is how you measure it. Okay, is, we're, we're counting the cost. 
We, this, is, this is what it's going to cost us. This is how much revenue we know we're going to bring in from our core. Now, here's what we've also discovered. Those who go and launch another campus who come out of your, you know, you send out, their giving tends to go up at that location. Does that surprise you? Why, why does that happen? They have skin in the game, don't they? You can come to a big church like this. You know, a lot of people that come to big churches say, you know what, this is a great church. They're never going to miss me if I don't show up, if I don't give a dollar, give any money to the plate. You know, they could do this with or without me. But when you're in that part of that core, and uh, if they don't show up, this doesn't, church doesn't happen. If I don't give my financial support, it ain't going to happen. That's called ownership. It's called skin in the game. And their t- giving tends to go up because they, they believe in this, and they're, got, they're involved. If you want to raise the giving in your church, just get people involved. The people who serve in your church are the ones who give the most regularly and sacrificially. Everybody else just tips. They tithe. And so uh, you start another campus and you, got, you need, it's all hands on deck. We, got, we need all hundred of you to make this happen. Their giving goes up. And they show up every week. Because if they don't, it ain't going to happen. This is one of the, the great things about mobilizing volunteers. And so then your income is that. So then you plan your budget on that. Now that's just the people that you send out. Hopefully you're going to reach some people too, right? And so that'll, that'll bump up some more. So the more people you send out, the quicker that campus is going to get self-sustaining financially, right? And this is why I like to say 200 adults, because that seems to be the, the breaking point of going beyond survival into success, you know, succeeding as a church. Now, some will say, well, Jim, boy, that's, uh, we, we don't need 1,500 people here. If we send 200 people out, that's, what, 10%, 20% of our people. Uh, well, I don't know if we can handle that. Well, let me ask you this. Are you better, uh, can you handle that, can a church of 800 go from, uh, sorry, 1,200 go to 1,000 versus a church of 1,000, versus a church of 100 or 200, who's stronger? Yeah, the 1,000. And well, you were sending out 200 people, I don't know if we can handle that, you can handle that. But 100 more people over there versus, you know, 100 to 200, that'd make a big difference and they're not only survive, you know, surviving, but also succeeding. You can handle, I remember when we launched out <laughs> 300 people from Willow Creek, you know, we're a church of 20,000 people. And over three, over three years, uh, we launched 1,000 people out in three different campuses. The board, you know, Jim, boy, you're taking all our people. You know, we got all this money going out to these other campuses now. And, you know, you know it's, the economy's kind of hard, isn't right after 9-11. And, you know, J- Tomlin's taking all our people, you know, 300,000 people out of 15,000, you know, adults. And they were worried about that. I said, you guys can handle this. You can handle this. And uh, to everyone's delightful surprise and to my relief, you know, uh, they didn't need any support at past launch. And they were willing to support up to 50% of that new campus for two years to subsidize it. It was never needed. Because you hit the, the stronger you can, you know, launch these things, the quicker they'll get to self-sustaining. You're tracking with me, aren't you? I know it's after lunch. The energy's going down. Okay, another thing. Another best practice is that they replicate and integrate and align their DNA. We've already talked a little bit about that. Know who you are. Figure that out. What's your best practices? What do you do well? What do you do well? I ask that question every time I go to church. You know, they, they, they tell me the same three things. I say, why do people come to this church? What, what, do, what do you do well? What are your best practices that, uh, that, you, you know, that people would say we do well? What, you know what they are? 
preaching, worship, and children, right? Every church I ask that, and, and, they're, and they're accurate when they say that. That is why they're growing churches. They have those th three things for sure. Many times other things, but always those three things. Now, but then I say, but, but why do people, that's what you do well, but what's the, uh, your core competencies, but what do, um, what do people experience when they come here? Because there's a lot of other churches that have good preaching, good worship, good children, right? They, people drive past that and come to yours. Why? That's what you've got to answer for yourself, for your church. Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, they all sell coffee. Blind testers taste of those three coffees, you know, blind, blind uh, which is the best coffee? McDonald's. McDonald's. Now, when you want to go have a cup of coffee, you want to have to meet somebody for a cup of coffee, where do you go? That's better coffee and cheaper at McDonald's, at least according to the test. Definitely cheaper. But you'd rather go pay more at Starbucks? for a comparable cup of coffee? Why? Experience. Experience. That's why people come to your church and stay. It's the experience that they have when they come here. And it happens before they even drive in the driveway with a signage that's good or bad. People in the parking lot, the greeters, uh, how you handle their children. They've had about 50 impressions before they ever heard the sermon. And they've already, on the most part, made up their mind whether I'm going to come back or not. No pressure, pastors. <laughs> and, um, but there was a survey done by uh, the church growth people, and they said, you know, what, you know what the most critical moment in the decision-making process about whether I come back to church or not? What is it? Seven minutes. Most seven minutes. Nope. That's what I thought. I thought <clears throat> it's when the service is over. It's when the service is over, and if nobody talks to me or says thank you for coming or whatever, that's when we lose them. Wow. You see, a lot of people are all trained. Let's, stand, uh, let's all stand, turn, meet your neighbors. We all do that on, you know, expected of us. Walk in the guest center or whatever, welcome table, some coffee. That's all putting out, you know, a good, and that's, we should do all those things. But how sincere and genuine is that when, when the service is over, nobody talks to me and welcomes me, thanks me for coming? That's an important moment not to miss. All that to say is that um, know who you are. And we already said a lot of this already. Uh, figure that out and be sure that you re you're replicating that at these other locations. People, some of the questions were asked, what, do we, what about children's ministry and all these other things, student ministries and all this other stuff how, at other locations? If those things are core, and those typically are core to who you are, you've got to be sure that you reproduce those things. When I was at Willow Creek, uh, the church family would say, Jim, are we going to do, we used to talk about how we had 100 ministries at our, you know, one campus. And so people would say, Jim, are we going to do all 100 ministries at these other locations? And I said, no, we're not. We're going to do only the things that make Willow Creek uniquely Willow Creek. We had a promised land, children's ministry, that was uniquely us. And we had a, you know, a commitment to the fine arts, you know, using dance and, and drama and all that. We're going to do all that. You know, the things that made us uniquely who we are. For example, we had a cars ministry at this campus where we, we'd receive a thousand cars a year. People donate. We had mechanics. We had, even had a little uh, shop on our you know, back of our campus 
where all the volunteers came in and repaired these cars and then we'd give them away to single moms and things like that. People would say, are we going to have a cars ministry at these other campuses? Most likely not. That's a nice ministry and that's something they can do. And if people from our other campuses want to donate a car, they can drive it over there, you know. <laughs> but um, that's not core to who we are. That was a great ministry for there, but all these other campuses, they may have something unique that they do that the home base doesn't do. You may be near a military base, this other campus, or a college campus. You're going to have some different ministries there, but they're still within the framework of your DNA and your mission, your vision. And so there's the, you know, this is where some of the, each campus has some uniqueness about it, but there's some non-negotiables that's accurate or true or reflective at all of our locations. We're leveraging the strengths of, of our best practices here. We tracking? Amen. Identify who, you, who we are, who they are, values, what matters to us, expression, how we function as a church. This is how we do church. At, at Willow, we had, uh, we had a um, seven-step strategy that we took people through from far from God all the way to maturing believer. And we had our language and all that. And sometimes church groups would want to say, could we merge with you? And we say, you could join us. But we're very clear on who we are <coughs> and where we're going and how we want to do church. If you, if you want to join with us, we welcome you. We're not saying we're the best way, the only way. We say, this is our way. And, uh, and, and you know, when you raise that bar, you know what people say? That's why we want to be a part of you. You're doing church well. We want to be a part of that. <coughs> another another uh, best practice is they define the inter-campus relationship. Um, by the way, let me back up about the funding piece. The next phase is, you know, from a school of theater is a, some kind of commercial building or facility that's already existing. That, that's about another million dollar price tag because you've got to upgrade it and renovate it and put bathrooms in and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's often a second or, and final phase of a multi-site church once they've outgrown the school or whatever. Define the inter-campus relationship. There are, three, there are three different ways to describe this in kind of business language that kind of helps understand how different churches, multi-site churches have done this. There's the branch model, the franchise model, and the license model. Now, a branch model is an example of we're going to do church in all our locations pretty much the same in every location. Uh, North Point, uh, Andy Stanley, anybody been there? Their church, 25,000 people in Atlanta, they have three branch campuses all connected by video. Until recently, the original message was preached on one Sunday and it was delivered to the other two campuses the following Sunday. So it was a week delay at the other locations. But they have a thing called Wamba Land, that's their children's ministry. They have a thing called Kid Stuff, which is another part of their children's ministry. They have Andy's teaching primarily. All those things were true at all locations and they all had the same look and feel. They're branches. You go to any one, of those, any one of those branches, and each one now, this is three campuses, 25,000 people total between the three. You go to any one of those, and uh, you, you get North Point Church. That's a branch. On the other end of the, of the spectrum, what I call a license, that's a, lot of, that's a church that gives people, license people the permission to use their video. And North Point, Andy Stanley's church, does that. They've got about 25 strategic partners, they call them, around the country who pay to get their, the videotape from Andy. They pay 2% uh, of the offering every week to get his video sermon. And there's a contract they have, and they have to agree to some things together. They support them, they help them. They're like 
associates, in the, but they're independent churches who pay to have Andy's tape. They're licensed, they pay a license fee and they deliver it to them and help them get set up and all that. And, and they, there's a collegial relationship. And then in the middle is a franchise, which is, you know, franchises typically are uh, a business, but that's locally owned, but subscribes to some non-negotiables. Like, for example, McDonald's is a business, a franchise. And, uh, but every city has the local owners who own those, fran those McDonald's, but they agree to be McDonald's. And there's certain standards and uh, non-negotiables that they get the McDonald's name and brand, and they have to comply with that or they're not a McDonald's, right? And so some churches do it that way, where there, there's some, some things that we all agree on, and then there's, there's more freedom locally. But even McDonald's, uh, there's some differences. If you go to McDonald's in um, uh, any McDonald's in the world, you get a Big Mac for Coke and fries, right? But if you go to McDonald's in Albuquerque, where my wife is from, you get Big Mac Coke and fries with green chili on it. <laughs> if you go to McDonald's in um, Maine, you, get, you can get a Big Mac and fries and uh, Coke, but also lobster rolls. Right? And uh, if you go to Hawaii, you can get a Big Mac and fries and what else? Uh, Not pineapple. Coconut. Spam. Who said that spam? Spam is a delicacy in Hawaii. And uh, that's a special thing. You can get spam at McDonald's. Same McDonald's, but some unique flavors, you know, at each location. Um, most multi-site churches tend to be on the branch model. They tend to be the branch model, or like a McDonald's where it's, they're, uh, they're under one central uh, leadership team and some central uh, support and all that. Starbucks is more like a branch. They're not in independently owned. Starbucks owns all the Starbucks stores. Is that right, uh, Dean? I mean, they hire managers and all that, but they're owned by Starbucks. That's more like a branch. Thousands of them all over the world. But Most multi-site churches are that. And, and, and some would say, well, what if we want to do something different. Well, the, the whole concept of a multi-site church is let's leverage the strengths of our church. Yeah. And the communication teaching is huge. I was telling the team here at, at lunchtime, for whatever reason the Holy Spirit is determined, we have a small distri distribution of gifted teachers in our nation. Preachers, teachers. Now, we have a lot of well-known ones, but there's still a small percentage of all the churches out there. 350,000 churches. There's 1,500 megachurches. But according to John Vaughn, every three days another one emerges. <clears throat> now, 2,000 or more people on a weekend. That's still a small percentage. In our culture, we have a high bar on communication. We have Hollywood, we have the news media. These are incredibly gifted communicators, and most of us as pastors are good shepherds, not great preachers. And it's hard to compete against that environment, isn't it? And, um, and so there are individuals who have gifted teaching gifts, and this is leveraging those gifts. And I tell pastors, if you, have, if you have a church of 200 or more, over 200, you have a teaching gift. You have an ability to communicate. You may have a leadership gift. You won't get much more than that if you don't have a leadership gift. But if you have that teaching gift and leadership gift, you're going to be, over two, you're going to be beyond 200. You, if, a guy, if someone starts a church with a handful of people, and they break through, they're gonna, if they have a teaching and leadership gift, they're going to break through 200 within two years or less. Most don't do that. 80% of all the churches in the country are under 200. Teaching gift, leadership gift. 
there are more people with leadership gifts but don't have the communication gift within the body of Christ. Right? Is this making sense? Is this tracking in with your experience? Is leveraging those teaching gifts. Why would you keep an Andy Stanley or uh, contained to a box of 500 people or 1,000 seats or 2,000 seats or 10,000 seats when he has far more capacity than that? Right? And um, someone said, would, would the Apostle Paul have done, gone video? Absolutely. I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll become all things for all men to reach some, right? In the first century, the technology was handwritten manuscripts. He wrote his sermons to be read in the churches. We call those sermons today the New Testament. The same sermon read over and over in all these house churches. One church of Corinth, many congregations. Same sermon. Fast forward up to the, the, to the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. Uh, how do you teach illiterate people the Bible who can't read and write? The latest technology was to take stained glass and put a picture of colored glass in the windows of the churches, which didn't have windows before. That was a new technology, windows, you know, just open space. But when, and we can teach the stories of the Bible with pictures. Fast forward up to um, the 1500s, the Reformation. Uh, the Reformation spread across Europe because you had gifted teachers, J John Calvin, Martin Luther, Swingley, who were gifted, prolific sermon, sermonators, and they printed their sermons and distributed them all over the, the continent. And the Reformation you know, uh, spread like that. Using the technology of the day, the printing press. Coming to the 20th century, we had television. You had Billy Graham, who was this you know, effective evangelist, who decided to record his crusades on film. Why, to make Billy Graham a great name? Some people have probably, probably thought that in his prime time. You know, this is all about Billy Graham. No, we all know Billy Graham enough to know his heart and his... Uh, he, he was a man who was a gifted evangelist. He could almost say anything in that anointing of evangelism. People would respond and be, be saved just by a simple message. He recognized he had that gift. It wasn't about Billy. It was about the gift that God put in him. And how do I maximize and leverage it? Let's put it on film and show it in places we could, that people, people who would never come to a crusade. How many people were saved in a hotel room watching a Billy Graham crusade? Or in a bar? Or in a jail? Or at home? Why? Because he used the technology of the day. And then we come to the internet, and it, it can be great, used for great evil, and all these things can be used for great evil or good. It's, it's, it's who's using it and why they're using it. So we have the internet, we have all this technology today. And so all through history, a, uh, a innovative, aggressive church leaders have always used the technology that's available to them to extend the word, to preach the gospel, to uh, get the message out. The easy part is starting campuses. The hard part is managing the, re the relationships, the inter-campus relationships. You've got to get clarity on that. It's managing those relationships between the campuses. It's, it's bringing your staff team in unity, in alignment with each other. And going multi-site, this is the hardest part. It's the staff team that you have now who bear the brunt of making this transition and feel the weight of the difficulty of it the most. Now, when I go to church and I have a bunch of st the staff in the room and they, and they have all their key lay leaders, the elders, the board, or whatever, and many times the, the volunteer leaders 
the CEOs, some of the guys that are, like, that are here now, they're skeptical about this. Because all they heard, this is something the pastor wants to do now, and you know, it's just another costly thing he wants us to do and support and all that. And then we, I, I walked them through this model. And they think, yeah, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? That's a whole lot cheaper, first of all. Because we're the ones that are going to bear this. And, uh, uh, and it seems like it's a whole lot more effective. And they become the biggest champions for this. And uh, many times it's the pastors that are like, because uh, they, they, they have this vision, this, you know, thousands of people in one room hearing their voice. And that's a hard to, uh, paradigm to get over for them. And what's, uh, what, um, what you have to realize is that this capacity, th this has the opportunity to have your voice being heard to the tens of thousands. They're just not, they're just not in the room with you. Go places you could never imagine. And so uh, the typical person in the, in the, in the, sitting in the pews, once they, once they understand this, they're thinking, why wouldn't we do this? And the idea of this could be in my neighborhood now, my church could be a lot closer to home, and I could bring my family and friends who live on the other side of town who I can't ever get here, now that they might come to the one that's in their backyard. That was huge. Uh, that's huge for a lot of folks. And um, so anyway, herding cats. So what do churches do to overcome that? Uh, they, sh they make the shift from monocyte to multi-site paradigm. This is the huge paradigm shift that's going on. I think JB talked about the disciple shift. It's, it's, what was your definition of a shift? It was... Change in position, attitude. Change, a change in position and attitude. All of us were trained to think of church monocyte, one location, one site. This, is a, this isn't just another ministry we're adding to our church. This fundamentally changes how you think and do church. It doesn't happen overnight. I have a little saying, a little saying in multi-site world, multi-site changes everything. It changes everything. All of our training, all of our uh, thinking about how of church, this is a huge paradigm shift. It changes how we, um, let's see if I have it on here. Um, it changes how we communicate in the room when we're preaching. It changes how we communicate through our website, through the bulletins, all this stuff, right, right, right Wayne? <laughs> Wayne is uh, Mark's uh, executive director over here. Uh, every aspect of the church is affected by this. This isn't just the youth pastor's ministry or everybody on your staff is affected by this. And when you start talking about this with your staff, they're thinking, I already have a full bucket. Now you're just adding something else to my... Another campus I've got to be thinking about now and all that. This is where the hard part is. This is why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> to help them through that process. And um, there's a time where those, uh, your staff, your key staff, what I call the ministry directors, they're wearing two hats. They're, they wear the hat of this campus. Children's area, worship area, technical area. But now they need to help think through how are we going to deliver my area at another campus? They're like, a, 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 they're like what I, they kind of do what I do in a sense. They're like a consultant coach. They're not the ones that can ultimately do it out there, but they're the best ones who have the DNA of those ministry areas, right? They're the best ones who can figure out how do we do children's ministry like the Agape Faithway at another location. 
so that uh, it's the, so it has the look and feel of here. Now, so they come up with the plan and the proposal and the volunteers that are needed. And here's the really hard part: we'll even give you some of my volunteers. <laughs> Now here's what we discovered at Willow Creek when we had Promised Land, which there was a big concern. You know, Jim's going to take all of our best volunteers to this other campus, you know. In our first campus, we, uh, when we launched it with 300 people, and the first day we had 500 people on a grand opening. Uh, you know, a few months later we, we studied, okay, of our Promised Land, our children's area, 25% of them had been serving in Promised Land up at the home base, you know, before they launched this campus but 75% had never served before in Promised Land. That's a pretty good gain, don't you think? Yeah. And you know what happens? Within a year, the original campus replaced those people. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, they had expanded their, their base, their people base at all locations, and with more volunteers and more leaders, and that increased the giving, overall giving in all places. The chapel, you know the chapel that I mentioned, those two guys, they launched these four campuses, three campuses in the jail. Uh, you know, in one year, like from July through October. At the end of that year, that was in 2006, they went, they asked, there are 3,000 people they had in their one campus, they asked, we want a third of you to go to one of these other campuses. And we like to, um, uh, and we're inviting everybody in the church to pray about which campus you're going to be a part of, including this one, because we're going to send out a third of you. That's great vision casting. That involves everybody, not just the people over in this, who live over here. And um, at the end of the day, 800 people went, almost a third. Can you imagine a third of your people leaving to go start, you know, launch two, three other campuses? Now here's what, here was the cool thing by the end of that year. The attendance at the original base campus didn't change much. They just sent out 800 people, it didn't change much. Secondly, uh, their giving did, dipped a little bit at that campus, but not much. And I said, so how are you guys feeling? He said, we're, giving's fine, attendance is fine, but we're feeling a little wobbly at home base because we just sent out some of our best leaders. And, and all those other three campuses got off to a great start and were flourishing, but we're feeling a little wobbly at home base because we sent out our best. And I said, great, in a year from now, you'll have replaced those and be, you'll have doubled your leadership. And that's exactly what happened. So that's what, that's what to me is about being a multiplying church, a reproducing church. Now, um, but that's a, multi that's a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift. How we communicate. Uh, if, you if you have a Saturday night service, you don't, you gotta take the word tonight out of your vocabulary in your preaching. That's a hard habit to break. Welcome to church tonight. Open your Bibles tonight. That doesn't sound right on Sunday morning at another location. Why is he saying tonight, you know? And, uh, uh, you recognize someone who just sang a solo in church. That person's not singing at that other place in the sermon. You know. By the way, all these campuses uh, have live worship at all those places. It's the, it's the teaching that's delivered. See, the teaching is a, is a commodity that's very rare. But we have a lot of gifted worship leaders and musicians and other positions that can be taught and reproduced you know, through mentoring and coaching. And so um, most of multi-site churches, someone said, well, what's the difference of this and watching it on TV? These are fully functioning congregations in another location that have all the elements of a congregation, of a church. They just, the teaching happens to be delivered and, and a lot of them by way of video. And by the way, here's another thing. Only a third of all multi-site churches use video. 
Another third are strictly live, in-person teachers. And then another third are a hybrid of the both. A teaching team, rotating preachers, video at all locations. Here's my recommendation, ideal goal to strive for, is that all of your campuses to, be, to have a teaching team, because I think that's just healthy for the pastor, first of all. It's healthy, even more healthier for the congregation to hear from, from more than one voice. A unified voice as a team. But at all campuses, including this one, to be video capable. And so that at any one church, you could, um, any one campus, you can be live or you can be video. That's the ideal scenario, I think. And um, so this, it changes how you think about your, how you communicate. Another, it changes how you, um, um, your, your staffing, how you organize your staff. You've got a, uh, your staff organization will go from kind of a top-down, hierarchical, many layers, the bigger you are, that becomes very inefficient in time. When you start going to other campuses, you start flattening the organization. But now you have what you have to create, basically a matrix concept, where you have, um, you have campus pastors now. You have other locations that are, have a staff there, or volunteer staff, but who do those people report to? Do they report to that person there, or do they report to someone back here? Those are all the kind of questions you have to work through. And um, there's a process with all that. Another, another part of the paradigm shift is how do we, is allocating resources. Who gets what? Does the money that's given to those other locations, does it stay there or does it come back here? And if it comes back here, how do, how do we um, redistribute it? How do we move forward together where we don't sow seeds of rebellion? You know, taxation without representation causes what, you know? And, uh, so there's all those kinds of issues. So it's a paradigm shift. It's a, it's a different way of thinking and doing church, right? Amen. It takes a little while to do that. Uh, staffing, uh, communication, resources. Here's another thing that multi-site churches do that are effective. That is, they have an intentional launch strategy. It takes three Ps to launch a campus. It takes a, a pastor, a place, and a people. Someone said, what's the, what are the, what, someone wrote a note, um, what makes a great campus pastor? I wrote an article about that. I, by the way, I have a website, I have a, news, news, a monthly newsletter, it's about to go to a blog. If you'd like to get that, you can just pick up my card in the back and my brochure. You can subscribe to that and you'll get kind of in my, you know, uh, my world and I, I'll keep you into the multi-site church world. Lots of resources through that. Um, but we did a survey of those multi-site churches. What was your biggest mistake? What was your biggest concern, first of all, going multi-site? Biggest concern by church leaders was, I'm not sure our people would accept video teaching. How many of you had that concern? Yeah, sure, we all have that concern. What was your biggest surprise, how quickly they did? How quickly they did? The, um, um, the reason why video teaching works, it's not about the medium, it's about the message. It's, um, <clears throat> I remember I was in a church in New Jersey. I go to, and I go to church all over the country and they ask this question, you know, they'll say, Jim, okay, this works in Atlanta, it works in Chicago, it works in California, but then this, but we are, and you name the state, well, this was 